Everyone, welcome to New Valley. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving week. I hope, hope you're ready to give thanks this week. Uh, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's very, very good to be with you guys. Uh, today's sermon is going to be a little bit different, uh, as I'm going to be giving a bit of a state of the church address uh, first, and then we'll dive into the sermon uh, after that. But let's turn to the passage that I'll be preaching on in just a minute from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. We're continuing in Mark after the State of the Church Address. Chapter 9, verse 2 through 13, Mark says this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one that they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. This is the word of the Lord. So we recently had a meeting, a few of us uh, staff leaders, and, and we're talking about plans for 2020. And I got chastised by Pastor Tyson because I have a tendency to always be thinking about what's next and to not stop and celebrate uh, kind of what's happened already. And so we spent about an hour just kind of talking about 2019 and evaluating, but mainly that evaluation led to celebration because we recognized uh, as a team, as we were talking about it, what a uniquely wonderful year 2019 has been. And I just wanted to stop and celebrate with you some of the things that we highlighted and talked about and we're excited about. Um, and as we did talk about it, we were asking ourselves, why has it been such a uniquely good year? What what about it made it so? And the, the kind of theme that we saw was this, that there seemed to be a sense of spirit-led decision-making um, that has led to new initiatives and, and blessing and growth and fruit. So I wanted to highlight a few of those. First of all, uh, this last October and the first week of October marked the 15th year uh, of our church's history. So 15 years ago, this past October, we launched New Valley Church at Barnes Auditorium at Valley Christian High School, and we were there for like two years, and I wanted to, this would be fun, if you were there during that first month of the church's history, would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand if you were there that first, interestingly, everyone's right in the middle, they sit right in the middle, like (laughs) no one on the sides, I don't know what that says, but, so it makes me very excited to have people who were with us on that first day, those first weeks that are still here. 15 years, and we just want to stop and give God great thanks, and uh, by God's grace and mercy and kindness, um, I'll be here another 15 years with my, my dear wife. 
Um, it is our calling as a church to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. It really is the calling of every faithful church. Every church that takes scripture seriously has the same mission or calling. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You know this maybe if you grew up around church, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the first half. Go and make disciples of Jesus, but mature them also and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, Jesus said. So it is our calling to make and mature disciples of Jesus, and we seek to do that through being an authentic community, uh, experiencing gospel growth, and living in kingdom mission. Authentic community is one of those buzzwords um, that a lot of churches throw around, and for us, though, it is not meant to be just a buzzword or just to be kind of like trendy. It actually is something we strive for, and I pray it's something you experience here, because as you experience the gospel of Jesus, you don't have to pretend to be someone you're not. You can bring your life, your mess, your brokenness, and experience healing and, and a community that loves you and will walk with you into growth. But because of the gospel, God comes into our life and changes us, and we do grow, we mature, we get rooted and established in love and in faith. So authentic community, gospel growth, and ultimately living on kingdom mission. Some of the things I wanted to highlight, these new initiatives, things that have happened this year that we're excited about, begin in children's ministry. When we moved into this building two years ago, so it's, it's amazing, it's this month that we moved in, or excuse me, it'll be next week actually, that it'll be uh, our two-year anniversary of moving in to this building. And when we moved in here, we had about 40 to 50 kids on a given Sunday in our children's ministry, and now that number has doubled since being here. Our nursery is filling. You're having babies still. We're thankful for that. Keep up the good work. And we have a fully staffed team of excellent teachers uh, that are committed to loving our kids and serving our kids. And Megan uh, South and Jen Bozek are extremely excited about the team of volunteers we have. If that's among you, we give you great thanks and praise for all the work you're doing. We now have a catechism class for our elementary children. As you see, they come in here to worship with us at the beginning of the service, and then they depart out the back to go study the New City Catechism, which is taking our children's teaching deeper than we've ever gone biblically and really preparing them for what it means to be a follower of Jesus in many respects. And then also they're getting to experience what it means to worship among us, to sing, to, to hear announcements, to pray and, and see pastors and members and, and be with adults. We think that's super important for their spiritual formation. The next thing I want to highlight is student ministry, just kind of going up the age group. One of the clearest examples of spirit-led decision-making this year was how the Lord led us to Caleb Curtisi and his wife, Sammy. Uh, we did a nationwide search for a new youth pastor, and of all the people we looked at around the nation and, and all the resumes and all the people we interviewed, the Lord led us to Caleb, a guy right down the street from us, who, as you, if you've met him and you've experienced him his preaching, his teaching, his leadership. We have already seen what a pastor with a full-time job description dedicated to student ministry can do and the fruit that that's already bearing. It's absolutely huge. So his job description is 99.9% .9 students, and then he's also on the preaching teaching team. You've already been blessed by his preaching, and he's going to be preaching some here in the near future. He has a very gifted uh, preacher as well. So with the addition of Caleb, we're now freeing up Pastor Tyson to focus on uh, helping new people get integrated if new, at New Valley. If you're new, we have a pastor dedicated to helping you get to know New Valley better, to get plugged in, to find a group, places to serve, how to get more connected. 
That's his job description, along with discipleship, pastoral care, and a new ministry to young adults for 20-somethings. On the first Sunday that we announced that we're having a new ministry for 20-something folks, uh, Tyson went out to the table out in the foyer, and over 20 people came out to tell them they were interested in getting plugged in. And that group is growing. And over the last few months, that group is being established. And we have a whole new strong community of 20-somethings that meets during the week. So if that's you, uh, please let us know. We'd love to get you connected. For the past year or so, I've also had this growing burden to start a ministry for young married couples, and that is a very loose term, right? I'm in that group, so uh, even at 52. It's called First Wednesdays, and it's for anyone from newlyweds all the way uh, to anyone who has kids still in the home, uh, any, any student. And we're going to continue doing this this coming year. What we do is we gather in here for a time of teaching, but prior to that, it's a, it's a meal together at 545, and then at 630, um, you take the kids, free childcare, free food, and then, and then we have a time of community and teaching. This is a great way to strengthen your marriage. This is a great way to be doing some homework, thinking about how to strengthen your marriage. There's nothing more critical than your relationship with God. If you're a married person, there's nothing more critical than strengthening your relationship with your spouse. So often, if you're a parent also, you think your, your primary relationship is between you and your child, but the greatest gift you can give your children is to have a strong marriage. We want to be here to help you to strengthen your marriage. Please come this next first Wednesday, first Wednesday, first Wednesday of December. Please join us. It's going to be a great time. Also this year, we felt compelled to do a a series called Christ and Culture to address cultural issues and go deep on some controversial subjects. We felt like God was leading us to do that. We pray that you were blessed by that. We started a pastoral care team this year to respond to pray for you and be here available on Sunday mornings. So on Sunday morning, after I preach and give the benediction, there are a team of people here ready to pray with you, whether that's to come to know the Lord. If you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, you can talk to these people and be prayed over. Also, though, any pastoral care concern you have that you would like just somebody to pray with you, after Sundays, we have people here ready to pray with you. We'll pray with you, and we're going to protect you. We have a brand new security team as well, uh, and of, of people who are here dedicated on Sunday mornings to keep us safe, to check the building, and to make sure that we have safety, uh, security uh, things in place. Our men's and women's ministries are stronger than ever. Next week, we're having a new elder election in both congregations. If you're new to New Valley, we're one church with two congregations. We have a congregation here in Chandler and one in downtown Phoenix. We have two new elders that we're going to be uh, seeking to elect this next Sunday, David Simonello and then also uh, Jean Klinkhammer. Uh, Jean has already served as an elder before, and so in a sense, it's more just uh, a re- reconnecting, recommitting with Jean. Uh, secondly, uh, downtown, we're bringing forward John Fuller and Ari Sopomo. So please join us as a family. We'll give a financial update, some other uh, vision things as well. Please be joining us in that group. We also have new officers who are being trained, one new elder and several deacons and deaconesses that will be being brought forward to the family to be voted on uh, this next spring as well. Downtown is growing and quite a bit. If, you've, if you attend New Valley downtown at all, and if you haven't before, I highly encourage you to do so. Uh, it's growing like crazy. A lot of young people, a lot of college students from uh, Grand Canyon University and also, they have this amazing opportunity to purchase the building that we've been worshiping in for the last few months. 
Our greatest challenge in planting New Valley downtown has been finding a place to meet. And at first, we could only find places on Sunday evening. We started at Central United Methodist Church, and we've moved around to Hope Women's Center, several different other locations. Now we're at a, a church that is a congregation that is getting very old, and it's down to just a few people. And we've been in negotiation with what would it look like for us to be able to purchase the building and renovate the building so that they can remain in the church but then we can have a long-term future for our downtown congregation as well. So please be praying about that. This year we have at least 35 students uh, participating in Surge School, which is something we do in the Valley to connect with other churches, but to train leaders for this church. We give God great thanks and praise for that. And lastly, we're, we're growing as a church. Um, many of you are new. I look around and I, I, I don't recognize almost half of you, and we give Great thanks for that. We're so grateful for the growth, and we continue to see people who are seeking Christ for the first time in their lives. We have many, many people coming to New Valley saying, I, I'm new to Christianity, I'm investigating the faith, and I want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, and that's one of the main reasons we exist. So we give God great thanks. I'm gonna, now going to stop and pray, but before we do, we just thank the Lord for all that he's doing, and uh, give God thanks. <clears throat> Let's pray, and then we'll get into the word together. Father, we thank you and praise you for your work in this church, and those of us that are part of leadership know and fully understand that unless you build this house, uh, we labor in vain, that our work is a, a spiritual task, and we can't change hearts, we can't change lives, we can't make people right with you, only you can do those things, but you've given us tools to use, pray that you would help us to be faithful with your word, faithful, with all the things you've given us to do, to love people in your name. And we just pray for this church, Father, that you would protect us and keep us, that you would protect us from the evil one, that you would protect us from divisions, that you would keep us unified in truth and in grace, loving one another, loving our city, and above all, glorifying you. We ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. So, we saw last week that as, as Mark shifts his focus, and he is at this point in the Gospel of Mark shifting his focus from this idea that the king has come now to the king is marching to the capital city in order to die on a cross, suffer at the hands of the, the, the leaders of the, of the Jewish religion, and then ultimately to rise again from the dead. And the big idea that I want us to see today is this, that the more that we see Jesus as glorious in our lives, uh, the more we are transformed or changed into his image. The more and more that we see Jesus as glorious, the more that he becomes greater in our life, the more that we are changed, the more that we grow more and more into his image. And the reality is this, no matter what you see as most glorious in your life, and it might do us good to stop and think, like, what is most important to me? What do I find most glorious? What moves my heart, my affections, my mind, my soul? What moves me the most? Because whatever you find most glorious, you are most likely being crafted or shaped into the image of that which you're glorifying. I believe that to be utterly true. So we should be mindful of what we deem as glorious, that which our hearts are attaching to as glorious. Because whatever is glorious to you, ultimately you're worshiping that thing. And whatever you're worshiping, it could be a lover, 
It could be an idea. It could be money. It could be power. It could be influence. It could be security. Whatever you have to have in your life, it begins to shape you. It begins to change you. It begins to morph your life. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, beautifully, and we all with unveiled face, and he's referring to Moses, uh, beholding the glory of the Lord. When, when we behold his glory, uh, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who's the Spirit. So three points today from our, our story. What they saw, why they needed to see it, and thirdly, what we need to see. First, what they saw. Mark tells us that six days after Jesus, uh, six days after the previous experience that they had, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountainside. Well, why just the three disciples? And it is interesting, Jesus had 12 disciples, but he really focuses his primary attention on Peter, James, and John, and he pours his life especially into these three, and it's these three that help establish the early church after the resurrection. Peter, James, and John in Jerusalem are establishing the early church. And on this story of a mountaintop experience of the transfigure of Jesus, um, this would cause someone who's a Jewish follower of Jesus and reading the Gospel of Mark to say, this sounds extremely familiar. This reminds me of the story of when Moses went up on the mountain with the people of Israel to receive God's law and, and several different experiences on the mountain where Moses was. And there are a lot of similarities. They go to the mountain, of course. A cloud overshadowed them. There's a voice from heaven, and even Moses is there. And prior to the Lord saying this pronouncement of blessing about Jesus, this is my beloved son, listen to him, uh, something incredible happens. Three things. One, Elijah shows up, the great prophet from old. That's interesting. Moses also shows up, and Jesus begins to radiate and, and exude the glory of God in its fullness. Jesus is glorious, but in a sense, is in his incarnation, there's a sense in which Jesus hides his glory in his humanity. But in this instance, the Father allows the disciples. It's as if the God the Father pulls back a veil and shows these three disciples how glorious Jesus is. Can you imagine? All of a sudden, they get a window, window into the reality of who Jesus Christ actually is, how powerful he is, how glorious he is. Jesus, uh, the, and then the Father says, this is my beloved son. Worship him, obey him, listen to him. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews so beautifully says this about, about Jesus in chapter one. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And listen to the way that Jesus is described, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Did you know that God made the universe through Jesus Christ? That he sustains and upholds all things through his son, Jesus. This is how glorious Jesus is. 
And so imagine if Jesus, and this is true of Jesus, in his humanity, there's a sense in which his glory has not been fully revealed, but in this moment, his glory is fully revealed. Why did they need to see it? Why was so God so gracious to give them the gift, this gift of grace of this experience? We call mountaintop experiences, like I had a mountaintop experience, I was on this retreat and I had this mountaintop experience. We call these things mountaintop experiences because of this mountaintop experience. And I love Peter's response. <laughs> it's so it's so simple and it's almost silly. Like all of a sudden Jesus shows up with his full glory. Uh, Elijah shows up, a dead guy. Uh, Moses is also there. Th these two men that died a long time ago are there. And the full fullness of glory is resting on Jesus. And this is Peter's response. It's good that we're here. <laughs> and it says he didn't know what else to say. He's freaking out because he's so scared. It's like, it's it's good that we're here. Like, it's really good, but I'm freaking out. And he's so excited. You just get this sense of utter excitement from Peter. A couple of weeks ago, one of my friends that I went to college with, who lives right down the street from us, he texted me and said, hey, I have an extra ticket to the Suns-Celtics game. Would you like to go? And as a Purdue graduate, this was very exciting because Purdue has had this amazing basketball player named Carson Edwards who graduated last year, and he now plays for the Celtics. And actually, even though he doesn't start, he's getting a ton of playing time uh, with the Celtics as a, as a shooting guard. And so I, the answer immediately, I happened to have the, the night off that night and said, yes, absolutely, let's go. Then he texts back. So that was already incredible news. Free ticket to the Suns game to see Carson Edwards. But then he texts back even better news. After the game, there is a meet and greet with Carson Edwards. We get to go down onto the floor and meet him, hang out with him. We will be best friends now. And then afterwards, we get to go have a shoot. We get to shoot baskets on the sun's floor. So I am, I am beyond excited. And that's exactly what happened that night. We got to go down. I got to meet one of my heroes, uh, sports heroes. He signed my son's shirt. We got to talk a little bit. And then afterwards, we got to go shoot baskets on the son's floor. I am starting to text everyone going, this is amazing. It is good that we're here, right? <laughs> and I said, let's, let's like build tents right here. Let's, let's never leave, right? Whenever we have these like, experiences like that's, that's beyond you know, the norm, we get really excited. It's just so fun. So I want you to imagine what it was like to be Peter, James, and John in this moment. Jesus has just told them, I'm going to suffer at the hands of men, and I'm going to die, and then I will rise again. And that has terrified them. And then this incredibly <laughs> terrifying experience happens where two dead guys show up and Jesus gets the full glory and he says, I'll put up three tents. One for you, Jesus, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And what he's saying is, let's never leave here, please. Finally, being a disciple of Jesus is getting fun. Like you're powering up, Jesus. You're showing your full glory. Let's just stay here. I'll cook for you guys. I'll run down the hill and get food and bring it back up. But let's never leave here, please. But they have to leave. All of a sudden, Elijah, Moses disappear, and Jesus tells them, don't speak of this anymore until I rise again. 
Now, what did Jesus just tell Peter again? He said, I will suffer. I will die. And Peter scolds Jesus. He reprimands him and says, don't even say that anymore because Jesus, or Peter has in mind that Jesus must be a political hero, a powerful hero, a general. But then Jesus says, no, you've got it all wrong. I must suffer and I must die. Suffering is in their future, and I believe that one of the reasons that God gave them the grace of this experience is that so that they could draw on the reality that Jesus is glorious. And as they suffer greatly, and you know the extent in which they suffered, these three end up being martyrs for their faith. <clears throat> I have to believe that in their darkest moments where they're suffering, the pains of agony of their own suffering and even martyrdom, they're recalling the transfiguration and saying, but that was real. We saw men resurrected from the dead. We saw the glory of Christ. We can handle and endure this suffering. When Becky and I moved here to plant the church, we moved here from Cincinnati, and it made absolutely no sense whatsoever to do so. Uh, we did it um, even though we had a church in Cincinnati that loved us. It was a great church. It was a healthy church. We had a small group that we led that these people wanted to join our church plant I was, one of the roles I had was youth pastor. We had a large team of people that were talking about going with us to plant. We had all this support, people who loved us. We had people pouring into our kids' lives. It just didn't make sense for us to leave. And yet God kept giving us these experiences of opening doors and showing us and directing us that we were to move to Phoenix to plant this church. And it didn't make a lot of logical sense. But there were these sort of extraordinary moments that, frankly, I've not really experienced since where God just clearly directed our steps. It was like gifts of grace of his will. And that's not the norm, right? And it was never an audible voice, but impressions and feelings and compulsions and then doors opening. And, and it's like God gave us those experiences of amazing grace prior to coming here because when the hard and difficult times came in plant, planting this church, where there are many times where we didn't even know if the church would make it, we were able to draw on those experiences and say, yes, but God called us here. Maybe the church won't even make it, but we know this. God called us to be here, and that's why we're here. Why do we suffer? What is the purpose of suffering? Why, why do we go through times? And I'm not going to be able to fully answer that today, but when we think about suffering, Tim Keller says that modern Americans, if something bad happens to you, we, we start to say things like, well, we're not smart. We were dumb. We, we made some unwise decision. We weren't being savvy enough. We just didn't plan enough. Religious people, he says, though, if bad things happen to you, uh, you just start blaming yourself or blaming others. You start looking for sin. I sinned or somebody else sinned. What sin did you commit? You aren't being good. You're not living up to the law or biblical principles. That's interesting. That's not the biblical story, is it? Jesus just told him, I must suffer at the hands of men. I must go to the cross. I must die. And by the way, you must pick up your cross and follow me. If you haven't noticed, Christianity is not a message of if you follow Jesus, you're going to be rich and powerful and all things will work out for your good. I mean, actually, it does say that. <laughs> Romans 8.28. However, not the way we determine is good. Not everything is going to just be hunky-dory according to your plan, but instead, what, what he's saying is, I will use all things to make you more like my beloved son. But religious people have a tendency 
to either say, no, God will bless me always, and if there's something wrong in my life, there must be some radical sin. But you know what? Just like grace falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, common grace, the fall, the effects of the fall also fall on all people, on the righteous, on the unrighteous. The effects of the fall fall very hard on some of us. But will tribulation in our life have a good effect Will it cause us to grow deeper, wiser, sweeter, loving? Will it make us more compassionate or more hard-hearted? Because we know it can do both, suffering. People who suffer greatly in this life either have a tendency to be some of the sweetest, most patient, loving, helpful people that you've ever met, or they have a tendency to be among the more hard-hearted, angry, bitter people you've ever met. But what about you? Will the suffering in this life only cause you to get deeper, sweeter, more loving and compassionate or more hard-hearted and bitter? And what will keep the tribulations from making us more bitter? And today what I want us to see is this. It's worshiping the beloved son. It's seeing Jesus as glorious. New Valley is a part of a bigger team. We're one church, but we're a part of a a group of churches that are called the Presbyterian Church in America. And the Presbyterian Church in America, like all Presbyterians, has a book that we look to to describe our faith. It's a newer book. It was written in the 1500s. It's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And there's there's a Westminster Confession, and there's a shorter catechism, and there's a longer catechism. And in the shorter catechism, the, the first que- an, uh, question and answer is very famous, and it goes like this. What is the chief end of man? And by, by that question, that really is asking, what is the purpose of humanity? What are men and women created for? And the answer, do you know it, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You were created by and for God Through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ created the entire universe. Through him, all things were created, and all things are sustained by him. And so it would only make sense that we only find our life satisfaction when we are rightly related to him. And when we find the one who is most glorious to be most glorious. You tracking with me? He is the most glorious person in the universe. And our problem is, though, we have a tendency to glorify and find the most pleasure not in the one who is most glorious, but in the ones, the ones who instead reflect glory. You see, Jesus is glorious. Glory comes from Jesus. He alone has glory like that. The rest of the things in our lives are like Uh, the other parts of our solar system that are not the sun. The sun in our solar system is the glory, is it not? This is the thing through which all the light that we have in our solar system comes from. The earth, you know, has no light coming from it. It reflects the light of the sun. The moon that we see as it shines at night has no light coming from it. It's simply reflecting the light of the sun. And our problem is we have a tendency to glorify those things that reflect light than instead of those things that are the light, which is Jesus. The things that we love the most, the things that we glorify the most, have a tendency to be the things that are created instead of the creator. And they're amazing. The love of your life, a romantic love, 
you're most likely to see is most glorious, and it's understandable because it's so close to the real thing. It is real. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. But it reflects glory. It's not the glory itself. Work is a beautiful and wonderful gift that God has given us. It reflects glory, but it's not the glory itself. Marriage, family, children, the most amazing gifts that God has given us, beautiful, wonderful, but they reflect the glory. They are not the glory themselves. In John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So, another question for you. The suffering in this life, is it making you more like Jesus? Loving, compassionate, merciful, or is it making you bitter and angry? And the next question is this. Do you expect God to show up in your life? These disciples had this unbelievable experience. I don't really personally expect to see Moses and Elijah anytime soon or the full radiance of Jesus' glory. But the question I have for myself and for you is, but do I expect God to show up in my life at all? We have a full and final revelation of God. Hebrews said so in, in chapter one that we just read. Jesus is the full revelation of God to us. And the, the holy scriptures that we have are the final and full revelation. We don't need a new revelation from God. We don't need a new word from God. But do I expect that as I open the holy scriptures and, and go to the word, that God will meet me there and say to me, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to his words. Glorify him. As we come here to worship and you expect to have nice people to hang out with, a great community, a, a ball guy who preaches too long, that kind of stuff, but great music. But do we expect the Holy Spirit to come and to illuminate God's truth to us, to speak to us through the word and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, obey him, love him. Church, we need to be open to the reality that God, God still is to be experienced and that theology the study of God must become a part of our heart, not just our mind. As we, study, as we study the word, as we study theology, we do so in order to fall more in love with God, intimately to love him, to know him, to see the veil pulled back, to hear the voice of God through the word saying, this is my beloved son. 2 Corinthians 3, we just read it. I'll close with this again. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of, Lord, of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your Son who is truly glorious. And yet, as we even say that in prayer, we have to repent and say, and forgive us for all the multitude of ways that we find so many other things more glorious than your son in our day-to-day -day experience. May we as your church at New Valley, the church in Phoenix, the church in the United States, may we repent of all the ways in which we look to other things, idolatrous loves, and turn to you and say, but you are most glorious. These other things are good gifts, but you are the most glorious. 
We need your help in doing this. Our hearts are too far, too hardened, too cold. Holy Spirit, please enable us to see how glorious the beloved Son is. In Jesus' good name, amen.